Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Dan of Vertex School and uh, Mike Jungluth, uh, Animation Director at Bioware Edmonton. Very cool. Thank you for coming by today, Mike. This is a, this is a pleasure for me. I always enjoy talking with you. Um, so as you know, we're a school and our primary goal is trying to take care of uh, getting students jobs instead of it just uh, sending them out to the world hoping for the best. So uh, a lot of what I'd like to talk about is um, things that you see in demo reels that perhaps you don't think you should see in demo reels. What could people possibly do to make their demo reel a little bit better? Um, down to uh, what is your favorite um, starting animation? What do you what do you think is a really powerful animation to start off? Of all animations to do, is it bouncing ball or a pendulum or otherwise? Um, but uh, starting off, um, do you want to tell me a little bit about how you actually got started in animation? Yeah. Uh, so I went to a state school uh, in Pennsylvania, Edinburgh University. And uh, I originally went uh, into the animation course with the idea of getting into comic books. But uh, the more I did animation, the more I was like, wow, this is really kind of cool, uh, taking these individual drawings that I was used to doing and, and seeing them come alive. Uh, and really especially got into things like uh, Samurai Jack and going back to like Love and the Max and stuff like that where they were really smart about uh, like the economy of, of motion and when to use it and really great just design and shots and all that sort of stuff. So um, when I left college, I was kind of like torn between comics and storyboarding and, and the animation and uh, after doing comics for a little bit, I, I moved out to, to LA to live with a friend to learn computer because I hadn't really done uh, much of anything valuable uh, using the computer uh, when I was in school. And um, learned just enough in Maya to do about 20 seconds of animation or so. Uh, I, was, I was working at Radio Shack by day, uh, so that's how long ago this was now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, uh, I'd, I'd work there during the day, and then uh, my roommate, Jaleel Sadul, who was at Rhythm and Hughes at the time, would come home and like give me notes and, and critiques on my on my shots, uh, that I was the tests that I was doing. And so after about a month and a half, uh, I had, you know, about uh, just shy of 20 seconds of, oh, wow. of animation um, with three different acting tests, right? Of just like that old generic blue rig, just doing yeah. super hackney uh, acting stuff yeah. uh, to, to VO lines. And uh, from that, that was enough to get uh, a startup game company uh, who was working on 300 for PSP interested, but I had to learn Max. So Jaleel told them that I knew Max, and I had a weekend to learn how, how to use Max and <laughs> do enough of a quick test uh, yeah. of somebody like just running and jumping uh, to show, oh, yeah, I could totally do I know Max, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, apparently it was just fine enough that they called me in for an interview and uh, went well. And, and, and that was sort of uh, 
that's sort of it, right? Like that was my first job. And then from there, I've sort of uh, moved around, right? I uh, was down in Texas working on uh, a Hulk movie game because comic book movie games was, was my life for the yeah. beginning of my career. Um, went up to Raven Software, uh, worked on Wolfenstein, Singularity, Call of Duty, Black Ops. Um, moved out to Seattle to work at Monolith on Lord of the Rings, War in the North and pre-production on uh, Shadow of Mordor. And then moved out to Maryland to work at uh, Zenimax Online on Elder Scrolls Online with uh, you, Mr. Perry, uh, where where the uh, where the friendship began. And uh, from there, moved over to Volition, worked on Agents of Mayhem as lead animator. So that was sort of my first uh, opportunity to be in a leadership role. And then uh, moved up to Bioware to sort of uh, help out at the end of Anthem. So I worked on Anthem for about six months as a senior animator on the uh, helping out on the, the player exosuit stuff for gameplay. And then uh, moved into animation director role on uh, uh, Bioware's next game up here. Very cool. Thank you for the, uh, the history there. Yeah, um, sorry, that was the long one. Oh, the other, but the other important part, side, <laughs> side note to all of this, right, mm-hmm. um, is while I was at ZeniMax, um, I started the uh, animation boot camp at GDC, and then uh, from that created the animation exchange. Because the other thing that I'm, I'm, I get really excited about more than animation itself is conversations of people sharing their knowledge, of talking about this stuff, uh, getting excited about it, workflow, tech, uh, ideas, all that sort of stuff. So, really, I would say the more I got involved in in sort of a larger community and uh, learning what everyone is doing and what are different workflows and not sort of just being caught up in what is the thing that we're trying to solve and more, what is it that as an industry we're trying to solve? Um, I I definitely feel like that sort of helped me to progress much faster and and become more confident in, um, in, you know, the type of knowledge that I, that I could use to, to make decisions and uh, about stuff. So, yeah. So, um, I don't know if you ever told me about the comic book stuff. Um, and given that uh, comic books and all of that, I, I assume that you're also a really great drawler. I haven't seen you do a whole lot of drawing, but I assume that you're pretty great with uh, with a piece of paper. With that, is do you find that sketches or, or storyboarding uh, on paper is, or even a, a digital form of 2D, is that a part of your process currently, or is that something you used to do and no longer do? Yeah, it's definitely something I used to do. I used to be like way into 2D. That was everything I went to school for. Um, and with comic books, obviously I do it, but I found um, uh, I don't do it as much anymore. A lot of the time, like, it's not saying that it isn't important. What I think is more important is that initial research and referencing and thought process and getting down your idea and, and thinking through the process, um, figuring out what your intent is, all of that stuff is is what I think is really important to get to, right? So mm-hmm. uh, if, if you're comfortable sketching and, and drawing, then I think that's that's a great way to do it because, you know, sh- that's really just the most natural tool that, that we sort of use when it when it comes to getting something out of your brain and, and, and out. Um, yeah. But I think as, as um, oftentimes as I get a lot more uh, involved with stuff now, 
I'll find myself either using uh, a lot of different video reference from online and sort of piecing together uh, a tone uh, reel or mm-hmm. um, uh, looking for, for different really exciting poses and, and reference that way. Acting it out myself. Um, honestly, like I think that's probably why I love the mocap stage so much is because that's that for me is is the point where you know I'll, I'll play with these ideas and block something out and, and get some ideas and poses and these reference boards and stuff but when you're on a stage with an actor who is like physically trained to be able to do things you've never thought of right yeah. it it becomes super exciting because you go okay I know I wanted an actor that could do this sort of range of things and then when you sort of give them the high level direction of what the what your intent is. And then you see them like go beyond that and add an extra additional flair to it. And all these, I'm just like, this is so much better than, than what my, uh, like what my brain would have come up with. Right. Because we all sort of have like these things in our head, uh, that, that influences us and, and the creative decisions we make. And it's easy to sort of fall back into a lot of same comfortable decisions and, the more you can get through those and, and get them out and say, okay, I can't use that because it's already, I've already done that one. What's, what's new and forces you to research, but then also just working with other people um, and, and sort of bringing them in on that creative process is, is the other mm-hmm. way to do it. So uh, I think all of them are valid, but yeah, I haven't drawn in so long now that it would be uh, probably uh, slightly embarrassing to myself at how much that skill is atrophied. So uh, I actually had this conversation in a previous uh, podcast. Um, somehow we got onto drawing. And back when I first started, I would draw pretty much everything that I was going to do. If it was a walk cycle, I'm drawing something. Um, and I'm a terrible, terrible 2D artist. Like, I actually have a book sitting over here that's just out of my reach right now. But it's um, Simplified Drawing for Planning Animation. And it's it's literally easy ways to, to depict shoulders and hips and things along those lines so it's not a literal stick figure. Uh, so you get a little bit of shape in there. Um, I've been, I used that a ton when I was first starting off. And then for a long time, it was just video reference, uh, whether I captured it myself, whether I found something online um, or otherwise. I did that for a very large portion of time. Um, and I would say that's still... That's still what I use the most is some form of professional or myself uh, video reference. I usually default to somebody else and then um, we'll either piece in pieces for myself or I'll uh, just try to do the whole thing. Um, But I actually upgraded my monitor to a Cintiq. And ever since I did that, I found it really easy to be able to just move my pen down real quick and sketch something without having to find desk space without having to like change mindset on what I'm working on. And I'm, even though they're still extremely rudimentary and, and, and not great, sometimes while I'm thinking of an animation before I even do the video reference, I'll just like, Oh, I want to try and hit this pose when I'm in the air because it might not be natural for me to try to do that when I'm doing this video reference. Um, and I just do, I mean, super rudimentary, but, uh, I found that I started to introduce it back in with shots that are a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I noticed I've been using it actually. Uh, as we now work from home and everything is over a call, right? Yeah. 
you know, it's so easy to just annotate. So when somebody's sharing their animation on screen, it's so easy for me just to be like, okay, hold on, uh, pause it, go to this frame. Okay, let me let me do it. And most of it's like this is the line of action that you want to you want to hit, right? And this is where you should be putting, you know, let's build in some contrast here and 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 all of that sort of stuff and looking at at the shape and and all of those sort of things. So I do find myself actually busting out my my Wacom tablet now more nice. than. Uh, I had in in years, yeah. um, just because of, of the current situation that uh, has been has been kind of fun. Even to yeah. the point that I, I was doing a drawover for uh, someone on the team uh, in review, and it got to a point I was like, "Oh, I've done enough of these frames now. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do the whole thing, right? And, and yeah. just do a really rough sort of 2D thing over top of it um, yeah. that I thought was fun. They were probably like." There's more information that I need. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure I, I fulfilled the uh, you know obnoxious director role in that moment. But perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I'm tr I'm trying to figure out good segues, which I haven't gotten great at yet. But um, I just want to talk a little bit, I guess, about some characters that maybe you've worked on. Um, maybe. What what influenced you on maybe one of your favorite characters or a couple of your characters that you that you've been able to have a lot of creative freedom with? Um, do you do you have any favorites or otherwise? Yeah, I, really, my my favorite project and and pretty much all the characters within it was Agents of Mayhem at Felician. Uh, I think that was sort of that perfect mix of. I was coming into a project early on, um, and. Uh, a lot of the times in my career, it was kind of coming into a project once it was already in production and, and they needed somebody just like more people to help put out the fire and, and help get it done, right? Um, and so that was a project coming into it where it was still really early. And uh, creatively and from the tech side and, and just from having worked on enough other games at that point that I, I felt pretty confident on the type of things that we could, that we could do. Um, it really sort of all came together for me in that moment where it was like, hey, this is something where we can really focus on character and, and personality for every one of these characters, right? The whole the whole premise of that game was that it was, you know, like a G.I. Joe team, but uh, each each character from gameplay to, to story to character art to uh, animation was all meant to to tell that character's story and, and convey that. So um my favorite for, for all of them was, was ultimately just the first one that we worked on, um, Fortune. Uh, she was uh, a sky pirate from uh, South America. And uh, like every part of her was fun in that it was getting to push style, uh, tone, um, and taking a lot of stuff that I'd sort of done at previous studios and roll it all together, right? So, um, I did a talk at uh, GDC now probably three or four years ago uh, about our about our process on that, um, which if anyone's interested, you can go you can go check out on YouTube. Um, but my favorite bits about that 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 still stick with me is um, we would it, I started realizing that the type of music that I listened to would very much influence the way I was animating, right? Like. Not that that's like some great revelation, right? Because everyone knows music influences your mood. And when you read animator survival kits, there's the the drawing of of uh, Richard Williams and uh, I think it was Milk Call and Milk Call's like yelling at him like, you know, 
you can't listen to music and animate. How do you concentrate on two things at once? Um, which uh, I guess I'm not enough of a purist to, to not. So my, my impression is more, okay, if, if that's going to influence me, let me have it influence me in a way that's appropriate to the character. So what we would do is we would, we would say, okay, what is the type of music that this character would listen to? Right. Um, and so for fortune, uh, she was, she was young, um, and, uh, from, from South America and, and spending time in, in the Caribbean. Um, it made sense that she'd probably listen to reggaeton, which I personally despised reggaeton. Um, <laughs> and it reminded me of, of working at Radio Shack and uh, a bunch of people I worked with there, like we'd put it on all the time and I just, it just drilled its way into my head. And so I had terrible negative connotations, um, with reggaeton, but, uh, I was like, this totally fits her personality. She's supposed to be uh, sort of fun and uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty quick and, and uh, peppy, and it totally has that that rhythm, right, and and yeah. feel to it. So, I was like, all right, I'm going to commit, and I'm only going to listen to reggaeton when I animate Fortune. And, uh, you know, after like a week of it, <laughs> maybe it's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I like loved it to the point that I was I was working on something. Uh, last week or a week or two ago. And I was like, man, I, I want to be in that same headspace that I was when I was working on fortune. And I was like, reggaeton. I mean, and it instantly I could feel it. Right. It just, it yeah. just gets, gets in your shoulders and you just start, <laughs> you start animating and the choices that you make as far as timing and, and how far you, you push your characters and, and sort of how, how wide or, or tight you go with the posing, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, totally just starts to, to happen and, and take over in a way that um, I think is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, I think you've answered like three of my questions. I was going to have. I was like, oh well, how about? No, no, never mind. You talked about that. Um, so, g given all of that, and like you, you talked about your development of that particular character and, and things along those lines. How did she differ from someone else? Uh, using all those same processes, how did her animation change perhaps a little bit from uh, another character that, say, was, uh, I don't know what else you guys had, but maybe hip-hop or country or... Uh, all of it. Or... Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so with hers, everything became really sort of bouncy, right? Uh, the way that... Um the way that she'd run, the way that she would jump and land, everything sort of had a double bounce to it, right? Okay. Um, whereas then you look at, there was another character we had, Hardtack, uh, who was a uh, uh, sailor, uh, this big, lovable sailor, teddy bear guy. And uh, he was very much into, like, 70s soul. Um, okay. So uh, Marvin Gaye and Teddy Pendergrass and Aretha Franklin. And so when I would animate him, everything was was that. And so that sort of vibe meant that everything was just a little bit more flowing and uh, I don't want to say even in the timing, right? But you just, you just sort of got this broader, wider sense of, of all of the movement, right? And mm -hmm. um, because they were bigger, everything, you know, allowed to have more uh, follow through in it and, and, and all of that sort of stuff, right? Whereas if she had follow through, it was just a quick doot -doot, right. right? Versus and so yeah. you just start getting all of these uh, ways that the more you can start figuring that stuff out, um, 
you know, those, it would just start getting into, into your head. Um, yeah. I think the other character I worked on was, uh, she was, you know, a family of, uh, of, uh, military. And so, um, she was, she was a Marine. Um, but, uh, the idea was like, well, let's go back to like classic rock with her. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sort of Vietnam era music that you'd be playing over any Vietnam film. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so then, you know, the way that that music are playing started to feel kind of, you, you would find these moments where it felt kind of similar to the others. So actually then what I started looking up was I was watching justified a good bit at the time as well. Yeah. And there's a group that does the, the um, intro video music to that, to justified. Um, and they're, they're, uh, they're called gangsta grass and it's a mix of like hip hop rap and bluegrass music. Interesting. And so that one started giving you sort of a fun syncopation that, that I found I, I liked a lot more, especially um, because she was meant to be more of like a tactile character with, with the ground and, and the way that she would, you know, reload her, her weapons and all that sort of stuff um, mm-hmm. started to give some, some nice different timing um, yeah. and, uh, you know, play of intensity and stuff like that that uh, the others didn't have. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you uh, for all that. That was that was pretty great. Um, so, uh, a question I would have then is: these characters have these drastically different uh, body types and different movement styles and things along those lines. Um, with having like the uh, a character that's very flowy and then a character that's very bouncy and a um, character who's very on point. Uh, how how far could you find yourself pushing in one of those directions before you went, oh, these are no longer in the same world? So some of that, I think, naturally came down to, at least in that case, production, and um, that uh, we still use mocap a lot in that project. So it was, okay, where mocap is automatically going to ground you. Right. Um, so it became a, a place where, Okay, we we want to find a a way to push the style, um, but to do it in a way that doesn't feel arbitrary. That we're just slapdash. This thing's right. broad, but this thing's grounded. So uh, so I, I took a lot of time trying to figure out what is the what is the point where we know, hey, these are the things that you should push, so that every character, um, no matter how far you push it, it's gonna feel appropriate because it's it's, it's consistent, um, not just within the character, but then within, within the game itself. Right. So in, in agents of mayhem, it was, it was all along, um, anything that they used either technology for, um, so, uh, like they could triple jump by using like booster boots. Right. So it's like, okay, anything past that first jump, go as broad as you want with it, because now technology is pushing them past what, what a human body does naturally. Right. Um, and so, uh, when they're using a special ability, when they're dodging things like that, that, that we know are already to the peak of human ability or beyond, then it's like, okay, push it, go, go wild with it. Um, and, uh, that gave us a a pretty good consistent line so that, uh, everything still felt grounded. Um, but you, you had those moments where, you know, you could, you could have fun with it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, 
So again, trying to work on my transitions here. Uh, something that uh, I, I physically attempt to do, and it's not a subconscious thing for me, is, well, I do it subconsciously as well, but um, observation is a huge tool for every animator, whether you're just starting off or you've been doing it for 20 years. I've found that just watching things uh, and people and creatures and stuff has is, is been really important to me. Um, how have you found yourself uh, with how you started observing when you were just starting to animate into where how you observe now how, how have you seen your uh a change there with yourself oh a kitty kitty uh yeah i i i find that it's it's totally a mix of uh watching all, a lot of things right and uh like i did it was did a talk in uh, Ukraine last year with uh, another animation director who's out of the UK. And um, he was showing that he just set up a video. Um, uh, his name's Christian Janju, by the way. Full credit to Christian. He's great. Uh, he was at the mall for like uh, uh, like Christmas shopping um, the year before. And he just set up a camera while he was like waiting uh, for his family in the store and just videotaped for like five, ten minutes. Yeah. Down below, everyone just walking around the sure. the the mall, right? Um, and then he like went back and broke down what is every single person doing, wow. right? And can I can I understand the story of of that person? Right? Like, oh, this so person's walking faster because they're going somewhere quick. Like they're trying to get somewhere. This person, oh, you could tell the moment they had a thought and they said, oh, I forgot a thing, and they turned and, and walked the other direction, right? And like it was, it was this great thing that I was like, "Oh, this is this is amazing." Because I, I oftentimes you'll see, um, you know, people do these breakdowns of film and, and feature film animation and stuff like that, um, and you know, doing a huge scene like that where you sort of, you just, you know, you get into the mentality of like, "Oh, there's just a bunch of ants moving, moving yeah. around," right? But honing in on each person and seeing what their story was. Um, to me, I was like, "Wow, that's that's the level that that I like that I want to be at," um, yeah. and and caring about. So since then, I found myself, um, you know, looking at the like everyday life stuff as as much as possible. It's harder now, obviously, when we're all yeah, yeah. Uh, stuck at home. But <laughs> um, but but taking that same sort of dedication and applying that to everything, right? Um, you know. If you're if you're sitting and waiting to get your car fixed, right? Watch the mechanics, yeah. you know, like watch what they're doing and and see if you can start figuring out the moment that they're having a thought change, and what was the thing that they did that conveyed that thought change, right? Was it, uh, you know, uh, reach for a tool? Oh, it's the wrong tool, right? Like, oh, they you know doing something and it saying they hit their hand, damn it, right? Like they you know. All of those little those little things, they go, they do something. Oh, fuck, I forgot this thing over here, right? Then you get to the point where you have somebody that's, and this is broad generalization, but they're usually great at mechanical stuff. And then you go see them go to their computer, which is usually something really old, and it probably still has like that plastic thing that sits <laughs> over the keyboard because like all this dirt and grime and oil would get into it otherwise. And then you see them going from like super capable to now like 
pecking at yeah. the at the at the keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then and backspacing, and then like <laughs> the frustration they have with the keyboard versus then the total mastery they have of of this other thing that's far more complex, right? Yeah. Um, all of all of those are the things that. Um, you know, most of the time you're just like, oh, I'm so bored. I'm just stuck at the, stuck at whatever, the garage waiting for my car to get fixed. But the more you just watch and you pick all those things up and you start filling them into your head, um, yeah. they're not unique experiences, right? Because as, as I described that, I could tell you were like, oh, I've seen this before. Uh, <laughs> and everyone who's listening goes, I, I totally understand that. But it, it feels real and it feels unique. And, and when you see that, um, it, it lends credibility to to what you're making and it also helps to establish this character as um uh appropriate to their to their space and and to their time so that when you you know through narrative reasons gameplay reasons whatever change that right and add something unexpected it's it's going to hit all the harder because because of how grounded that moment was uh before and after that right right yeah i mean um a a few things that you had mentioned there are the changes and um one of the things that i usually uh, would tell somebody when they're getting ready to do a dialogue shot is try and find a piece of dialogue where it's not all the same mood but there's some form of change in the dialogue whether it's starting off happy and turning in uh say complete opposite and angry or disgusted to in love or otherwise in a very short period of time, it adds an awful lot of texture and an awful lot of uh, character realization that you get to really play with there. Because, I mean, we've all seen uh, amazing animation in our days, Um, but it's really great to see how much work someone puts into that thought change. And for instead of you going, oh, they moved the brow there, like you actually feel that change, like something happened in the middle of that sentence that changed the mood entirely. And uh, I, I find that those are the most appealing shots for me is when it's not just someone coming in and barking a bunch of like military orders or um, someone coming in and being sweet and loving to a, a school or, or, or something along those lines. But when it's it's got this ramp to it. Um, it that, that's really exciting for me. And I, I love to see those changes. So I was happy to hear you say that. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, if you've ever listened to, so uh, Ed Hooks, who does acting for animation, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's on like it's sixth or seventh edition now at this point. Um, yeah. Great person to talk to, right? And, and the way he categorizes all this down, right, is that um, in order to have an emotional connection with a character, um, uh, to empathize with them, you need that illusion of life, right? And illusion of life really comes down to conveying somebody that is thinking and, and feeling. And uh, that that really only comes from you seeing that moment where you can go, oh, there's the the wheels in their head are turning, mm-hmm. right? And there's and there's something that's going on in there, and they're existing as a more complex thing than uh, whatever whatever they're doing in that in that moment, right? And I think that's that's something that's really hard to do because 
just the first bit of making the, the physicality of, of a person doing anything is hard. Like animation is just hard. Getting it to move right, getting like balancing all the stuff in your head about like uh, physicality and staging and, and timing and like all the fundamental stuff is super hard just on its own, right? Yeah. And so what you're then having to do on a step past that is start getting into um, psychology and acting theory and all of all of that sort of stuff that's also incredibly difficult right yeah. like uh, you know you you there's there's um, some great acting class if you go on YouTube uh, Michael Kane just do like Michael Kane acting master class um, and and it's like an hour long and um, it's it's Michael Caine from like the the seventies maybe the eighties um, doing doing a master class acting uh, bit which is which is great um, yeah. and and there's you know from that point if you like it there's there's tons of but you know getting into uh, you know how much a character blinks signifies uh, what their personality is right mm-hmm. um, the how much they they move within a scene all of these sort of things when you're not just acting the words, but what's the subtext under the words right. and how the words don't even necessarily matter. Like that's the, the, that to me is the fun part of animation, right? Yeah. Is like that, but it has to, like, you can't get into that, right? That's like animation 301, 401, yeah. like animation 101 and 201 is those fundamentals of just getting it to move because as soon as it doesn't move believably, then it's, it's fallen down. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that like more and more, I, my favorite part of the job is directing on the mocap stage because yeah. it sort of removes all of that need yeah, for physicality like, stuff as yeah. much. It gets me to the fun, to the stuff I like faster. Now, all that said, you get mocap back and, in general, humans uh, move about like twenty percent too slow for for what you need in a game, yeah. right? So you already have to like, so you, and you and you can't just do a rate scale of the whole thing. You need to like time it up in the right places, uh, and you want to push the poses and and you go, oh, that was cool, but they you know they didn't quite hit the timing that I was looking for. The posing was a little weird because you know no matter how bendable they are, like we had uh, somebody that was essentially a contortionist. Uh, on a shoot, and they started doing these backbends to the point that all the mocap techs were like, uh, "Our range of motion that we <laughs> that we do doesn't cover that." They're like, "So I guess we need to. Anytime you bring them back, you're gonna have to we have to do an updated range of motion." Um, yeah. But it's you know even within those realms, that's you know that gets you fifty, sixty percent of of the way yeah. there. Um, but uh, anyway, now I'm just rambling. <laughs> Ramblin's fine when it's about animation, right? Um, so one of the things that I used to do an awful lot, and I don't do it as much these days, uh, but I found myself doing it a lot since the pandemic, probably just because I had the time, is uh, frame by framing uh, my favorite scenes in movies or when I saw something uh, really cool um, is going in frame by framing it and seeing what they did. Is, is that something that you still do? Is that something you've ever done? 
Uh, I don't do that one as much. I think some of that also gets back to, you know, my original love of uh, animation being things like Samurai Jack. Looney Tunes as well. Looney Tunes I would totally step through, right? Because I want to see how far they push that thing, and I want to see what their smear frames look like and and all that sort of stuff, right? But um, in in general, like, I don't don't get as much into... um, the minutia of, of each motion mm-hmm. um, as, as some other animators do. And I've kind of always put it my head on, uh, I kind of see it like the scale where on one side you've got sort of that like purist animator that really loves each individual frame and sort of architecting and, and sculpting each frame. And then on the other side, you've got somebody that's a little bit more on the line of like that director that, I care less about each individual frame um, or even motion and more what does it like, what's the overall performance like, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I think for games, it helps to be further on that direction side of like caring more about the, the overall thing than, than the individual. And I think oftentimes um, for film, it helps probably more to be on that like individual frame side because that's, sort of uh, in film that's normally where you sort of have your autonomy right? right is that you're working on a shot within a, a much larger thing and the most important thing is to to get the, the acting choice right and to get the quality right um, and so you really sort of have the time and you belabor each one of those things right with games it's more oh we've got to get a whole suite of animations done and it needs to be responsive and there's going to be a bunch of inputs from the game and from the player and all this sort of stuff. And so I need to figure out how to get all of that in there at a consistent quality bar and uh, have a consistent performance that delight and surprises. So I think where you start to oftentimes get uh, frustrations with animators in games is when they're, they're probably further on that side of wanting to sculpt each frame and you won't have the time. And also I don't care how great that, that individual animation works. There's a good chance that a partial part of that is blending out uh, to something else. And uh, who knows what terrain you're going to be on and who knows what camera you're going to be seeing it from and who knows what's going to interrupt it and what else might be blending on top of additives. And, And so each one of them needs to be good, but you know, I'll, I'll never be somebody that like gets into each frame of, I want that finger overlap to be just right. Uh, Or I want that eye blink to like have the left side drag a little bit more than the right. I think that's cool as hell. Uh, It's not anything I've super been into Mm -hmm. um, because for me, I'd be more like, was that blink at the appropriate time? What did that blink tell me about the character? Right. Um, And certainly how you offset the blink and how long you hold it and all that stuff uh, feeds into that. But I need it to, what I'm more important to care or what I care more about is I want just enough so that it fits what we're trying to tell. And then let's move on to the next thing because I want to continually tell as much of that as possible. Yeah. It's, it's funny the way that you described um, the last two questions that I had, because they, they're kind of a, a meld uh, of myself. And I find myself not wanting to frame by frame, say like an action scene of a character jumping up some walls or something along those lines. I'm usually frame by framing 
the uh, the switches and mood and those those moments there because um, it's easy to go in and to see like and try to read how how did they achieve going from one to the other especially when they're really subtle you know like mm. uh, like being agitated to um, being just more furious you know but in somebody that's calm. So how did how would somebody show that? Like maybe maybe they've had their hand in a fist the whole time, but it's just a matter of repositioning the fingers for a second, you know, and having a little shake. So you can just read a little bit more tension there. Maybe it's something to do in the face, like the the brows were already kind of angry, but now they just tightened a little bit more. Um, I love looking for that kind of stuff and being like, wow, like this person sat there and thought about the exact moment that this person was changing their mind about something or uh, uh, their mood is gradually getting worse or better or, or whatever, which direction. And I, I, I love looking for those little tiny moments. And um, I know that in, in games, we don't have a lot, unless you're in uh, the cinematics in games is you, we don't generally get a lot of time to be able to do those things. And we're lucky if we, uh, have all of the full structure to be able to do a lot of those things but uh i just i love looking at it i don't i, don't, I know that i haven't done it in a while um i think my last really big one was uh for axis but um i i used to really really get into all that kind of stuff like just watching those moments um not to say that action stuff isn't really cool but i can't i, I I can't find myself watching it frame by frame because the only cool thing, like you said, would be like a smear frame. Like, oh, wow, even though this is a live action movie, look how they stretched out Spider-Man over these couple of frames. He's like 13 feet long, you know. Um, I'm sure you can find those kind of moments, but I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't know what doesn't attract me to those as, as much for whatever reason. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, a lot of it comes down to usually those moments are, are sort of feeding back into that first part of it. It's really boiling down the, the character into a being of just pure motion. Um, and, and, you know, usually it's a very clear line of action and, and there's something beautiful to being able to boil down a complex character into something so simple. Yeah. But um, because I know that's not where my general, uh, preference goes on like what gets me excited mm -hmm. that's why i like to me that's why i'm not on that individual frame sculpting thing. yeah appreciate the hell out of it and like i need other people then on my team that actively do care about that stuff yeah. so that um they'll you know it, it becomes this push and push and pull for both of us where ultimately i want somebody that's going to be on the other side of the spectrum knowing that i'm all the way over here on this director side yeah. And I need some people that are going to like hold on to each one of those frames and really care about hitting that stuff in such a specific way, because then the balance is going to come that, uh, you know, like the 80, 20 rule is usually pretty solid of like, okay, 80% of the time we don't need to worry about that stuff, right. but there's, there's about 20% of things that we really want that specificity and, yeah. and, and control over and then, okay, go like, do it great. You know, yeah. uh, in, in a way that I, no, I've never been confident in being able to do myself. Okay. Um, switching gears again, uh, if we wanted to keep this to an hour, we only have a little bit of time here, but um, 
I wanted to know, because I, I have some of my own personals here, but is there a particular kind of animation or a particular type of scene uh, that you that you haven't done that you'd like to do for uh, one reason or the other? Uh, type of animation, I am not as much uh, into, like, style, like super crazy stylized stuff, right? Like Hotel Transylvania or something. Um, I think would be would be cool, but I don't think uh, my natural tendencies go there, so I don't think I would do it well. Um, yeah. There's something I've never gotten to do that I've always wanted. So in college, I remember watching um, this movie Made, which was sort of the spiritual uh, successor to Swingers. Um, okay. So Vince Vaughn and uh, John Favreau, where uh, Vince Vaughn's character is just the most obnoxious annoying character uh, ever. Just so frustrating. And we were watching it with some friends and it, literally two of my friends got up halfway through and said, I cannot stand this character. I got to go. Like this, <laughs> he is annoying me so much. I just, it's done. I can't. And they got up and left. And wow. I remember thinking that moment, I was like, wow, I've seen movies like make people laugh. And I've, I've seen the characters that make, and, and moments that make people cry. But the confidence to lean into a character that is meant to frustrate and annoy. Yeah. That you're, you're willing to say, and it might make people leave. <laughs> I, I found really, really exciting. And, you know, I think there's, you've had some things like, uh, you know, I think Ricky Gervais has now probably made most of his career out of trying to be like cringy, annoying. Uh, person right and and yeah. you know Michael Scott on the office and things like that where it's probably happened more uh, than than uh, more often um, and, and become a little bit more mainstream at this point but uh, I still I still for some reason like what are the other emotions that we can make people feel yeah uh, and and elicit that uh, aren't fear anger happiness sadness um, yeah. You know, being leaning into contempt is <laughs> is uh, a go. And then for me, the other one is just like surprise, right? Like, I, I genuinely just want to, you know, make things that give people moments where they're surprised and go, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't expect that," right? Yeah. Uh, whether whether it's in the animation choice or or a style tone, whatever. Very cool. Um, and I, I think. I, I, again, I have another personal one here. Is there, um, uh, I think you, you actually answered that one a little bit already. Sorry, we kind of got a little notepad here. Um, so uh, we kind of talked about this the other day, you and I, but what is, what do you think us as animators could do to, um, to better a game, let's say. So you come into a game late. Like uh, you mentioned that a lot of the times when you get hired is because they're going through these big hiring phases uh, to, get, to push through the end of a game. And you come in so so late on something, what do you think as an animator, someone might be able to do to help uh, improve the game more than just going in there and being a part of the, part of the cogs? Uh, 
do you think there's anything that someone could do at that point to help better the game as an animator? Yeah, I think uh, once you come in at that point, you know, and, and sort of the foundation's been laid and you can't really do a whole lot on maybe influencing the, the tone, uh, influencing the style, or, or having a whole lot of opportunity to influence some of the workflows um, and, and maybe some of the tech decisions that were made early. Uh, really the biggest thing that then we can get involved within is how do we, how do we help the presentation? Um, and as equally important to like, how do we just make stuff that looks cool is the game feel. How do we make stuff that, that feels good? Yeah. So, um, a lot of what then I'll, I'll, I'll try to focus on is, okay, let me, let's look at all the connective tissue stuff and does going from this action say from a run to a jump feel as good as possible and uh, from a jump to a wall climb and then uh, jump into an attack um, and jump into, you know, maybe pulling out your weapon and aiming it and uh, putting your weapons away and all of these sort of things that um, don't necessarily make for the most exciting demo reel afterwards. But um, if you've done your job well in those cases, the player experience of just being able to sort of go through these discrete states and, and actions and verbs and um, sort of do it seamlessly without having to think of, of, of each one. Um, yeah. That's really where, you know, we get to, to become really powerful uh, in, in a way that's more of a support role and less of a, Hey, I'm the, I'm the star. Look at, look at me at this moment. Mm -hmm. um, that, that I think a lot of times animators probably go to is like, well, this thing's a mess. I'm just going to make the coolest looking animation I can think of. But yeah. if it doesn't, doesn't feel good when you do it, uh, it's going to end up just being a, a really light, uh, a, a really loud and bright frustration, right? Yeah. It's like, to me, it's like those fireworks that just are loud bangs. It's like, yeah. Good job. You made something bright and you made it loud, but it wasn't enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and and it wasn't wasn't pleasant and sort of took me out of all of the other fireworks going on. Right. Right. Awesome. Um so I, I, I have one last uh more school related question for you. And um I kinda lost it. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long day. Um so it's based around um, the very start of your career. And when you're first coming into a studio, there's a good chance that you could be coming in and feeling um, imposter syndrome or, uh, I mean, I imagine someone walking into your office on their first day of work or something along those lines. And it's like, oh, oh my goodness, you've worked on all of these different things. I, I see the posters you have in your, in your office or otherwise. Uh, how, how, how can we help people on their first day of not having this, like, I, I'm just imagining some of these studios that I've walked into and you walk in and you've got these big statues and you've got uh, ginormous buildings and you've got these, uh, these people that you've admired making games for the last 20 years or so. Uh, what would your suggestion be for a student that comes in and they they want to be able to mesh but not get 
crushed immediately you know like they obviously they're not going to walk in on their first day sit down and be like all right sweet i'm going to get the first three attacks guys you guys get level two you know what i mean but uh at what point does uh, is it like too much when you're first starting versus being like okay i want to be I don't want to jump in too hard and then like say I can do something and not do it. Uh, I can find this, I can see that line a lot of the times and uh, I usually find myself more on the, the timid side and going like, oh, I don't want to overstep my bounds here. Um, how do you, how would you suggest to someone just getting into the industry manage that line? Yeah, so imposter syndrome never goes away. Uh, I, I've had it at every studio I've went to, um, and every role I've taken on, I uh, continually feel like there are so many more people that seem qualified for this than, than I do. Um, I think the biggest thing that just comes down to it is being honest about what your capabilities are, um, not being afraid to, to ask questions when you don't know something, and just always remaining um, like hungry for information, right? Uh, I think that's really the biggest thing is that imposter syndrome goes away when you feel totally confident that you know what you're doing. And the minute somebody feels that confident, uh, I would get worried because there's always some new challenge. There's always something that you don't know. And uh, the minute you get that confident, I, I get worried that uh, something is going to get missed and you're going to overlook something and mistakes are going to happen, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, there's, there's a difference between confidence and overconfidence. I think you need to have, you know, if you got the job, right, then the team saw in you what they, what they were looking for. Right. They of, of all the different candidates, they said, this is the person we want to hire. And so they saw that you had the, the right uh, mindset. They saw that you had the talent and the skill um, and and they saw that you had the personality that would work well on the team. Um, and so coming into it, everyone knows, all right, our tools are going to be different. Uh, you know, our workflow is going to be a little different. We need to get you. Uh, thinking and, and asking sort of the questions that that we like to ask on the team, um, and it's and it's going to be a learning process. And uh, I, I I think as long as you sort of always do that, and then you sort of you know read the room of the team and go, okay, like how's how is everyone else handling this stuff, and you know, and and uh, going how much. Uh, you know, am I am I learning this stuff and am I taking it in, or am I sort of asking a question and then instantly forgetting it? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's I think the next level where people only get frustrated when you ask them the same question like three times. Yeah. Right. But if if you're asking a question you've never asked before, they're going to help. They're like we we all expect it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I yeah I think it all just comes down to say we're all just sort of taking our best guess at things, um, and the the best gifts I've had up to this point in my career have honestly been as much the failures of, of games and of, of um, systems and animations as anything because 
I can take those and I can learn from it and I can go, hold on. I know there's, there's a, there's a giant pitfall over there. Um, yeah. I'm not saying let's not go over there, but I'm saying I'm going to put some caution tape around this and I know that there's a hole there. There might be holes all the way around it and past it. I, I don't know. Right. And, and I think that sort of starts to become the next step of it, of like trying to learn the right lessons from, mm-hmm. from those failures. But that's also really hard. And now we're just totally going off on uh, tangents. But um, yeah, I th- don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, be honest with what you can do and, and what you're worried about. Um, if they if they gave you a, a task or a job, it means they want to support you and they have the confidence in you to be able to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll learn it as you go. And a new challenge will come up that you won't know, but you can take your thought process and approach and apply it to that and see what works and see what doesn't. And the great part is, is I, I think that is, should be the mentality throughout the career. Cause I mean, uh, just today I've made mistakes. I've already looked at this thing a few times and my eyes glazed over. I'm like, Oh man, I can't read that anymore. Um, and then there's stumbling on words and things along those lines. I mean, I, we've been at it now. I, I've been at it for about a decade and a half. And yeah, I still make mistakes. I still mess stuff up. I've blown up an engine um, f- remotely uh, just six months ago or so. Like just, oh, I didn't check out my file before I uploaded it. And I uploaded a corrupted file. Great. Now someone else has to go and figure out how to fix that. So yeah, it, it happens for sure. Oh yeah. 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 I think I broke the build, uh, like two days ago. I was like, I was like, I'm, all right, let me back that thing out. Yeah. All right. I, I, I ran it through pre-checks, but I didn't check this one thing. Like, you know, these, these things, uh, happen and, yeah. and regularly, you know, people say, Hey, what are we going to do about this? And I think a lot of the times people fall into traps as a leader directors, they'll say, uh, we're just going to do this. If I don't know, I'll say, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. I'm going to go talk to them and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Right. And, and I, you know, I think it's just that same mentality of me uh, always being open to learn new things and me always being open to uh, fall down, learn from it, get back up and, and try again um, is, is certainly something that's afforded um, to, uh, to, uh, sort of a, a level of like just general white male confidence. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it, you know, a lot of my job now just becomes helping everyone feel safe in that, in that same way of going, you're here now. Like yeah. we're supporting you. You're part of this team. Um, your success is, is everyone's success. Right. And um, I think, I think that's just the, the heart of all of it yeah um well mike it's it's been a little bit over an hour is there anything else uh, that you'd like to talk about or anything before we go do you want to tell us maybe about um any games that aren't under nda that you could mention or otherwise something you're excited about uh no i mean i'm, I'm super excited about what we're working on but we're still we're still a ways out um you know my biggest thing would be you know animstate.com uh is a website that i run with a bunch of other game animators uh, we've got a, a large Discord community uh, that I would say get involved with. The Animation Exchange on YouTube is like 30 hours of, of game dev animators uh, talking about workflows and process and ideas and technology. And and 
uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and then, yeah, those are, those are sort of my two, my two big babies outside of, uh, outside of the, the work I get to do on a daily basis. Very cool, man. I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, and coming in and answering all my ridiculous questions and, no, they weren't ridiculous. You were supposed to ask me questions of like, you know, uh, which which type of hat is better, cowboy hat or baseball hat? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, what, what does that have to do? <laughs> of course it's a cowboy hat. And then I sneak up behind you and let you know that it totally means that you're something wrong with animation or otherwise. Oh, you yeah. pick cowboy, so your timing is always off. Sorry. <sighs> you fool. <laughs> the range of motion on a cowboy hat, so much worse than a baseball cap. Why would you ever choose that? <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks so much. Um, I appreciate it, and I hope we get to talk again sometime soon, man. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. All right, dude. I'll see you. Yep. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.